Uh, I'm going well. Right. Uh, j just um, just double checking. We are doing the Kurt Vonnegut double feature today, right? Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> you have some serious explaining to do, young man. Oh, don't worry. I have uh, an explanation for this. You bet. But, <laughs> but um, all right. So, for today, we will be doing um, the Curve Vonnegut double feature. We'll be looking at the film version of Slaughterhouse Five, mm -hmm. and then we'll be talking about Slapstick of a, from another kind. But I want to do this in chronological order, so let's talk about the good movie first. <laughs> okay. Um, so I presume you're talking about Slaughterhouse-Five then? Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I decided, because I love, um, I love reading and I like I like film, book film adaptations um, and I like them because they're entertaining usually for the reason that they're usually pretty bad compared to the novel. <laughs> Although I have to admit in recent years um, they've gotten a lot better. So I decided to actually, uh, something, can you hear that funny noise? Like a, are you there? Like uh, yeah, yeah, um, it, it's like, it sounds like birds. Yeah, I can hear the birds, but more like a glitchy kind of zzz, zzz, sort of sound. Can you hear that? I, I, I can't hear that. Okay. All right, well, if you can't hear it, that's okay. It's just going to annoy me. Um, so, it's like my microphone's... Hmm. There you go. Anyway, um, so I decided to read um, Slaughterhouse Five first to because I've I've never read any Kurt Vonnegut books before, and I know they're pretty like you know in that classic realm. Um, so I found an online version of it, and I read it, and it's um, it's a really really fantastic book, um, and I really enjoyed it. And I was like, but it's written in a really interesting way. And I was like, how are they going to adapt this to film? Like I couldn't, yeah, I was like, well, how, that's it's a really, it kind of seems to me like a difficult book to make into a film. Um, but I think after watching the film, I think what they did was they just, they just picked um, one sort of story and, and this whole um I guess this guy's descent into madness, his time traveling, um, you know, concepts that he's he's trying to write this book about and stuff. That's not how the book book that I read is, is written. So it was, but it was interestingly done, and I think quite well done considering it 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 would have been difficult to adapt. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was um, done as as delicately as they made films in those days around these kind of subjects. Um, and yeah, I actually actually really enjoyed watching that. What did you think? I I have to admit, maybe it's because um like I haven't read the original book. Yeah. 
And I went into this basically only knowing that it had Kurt Vonnegut's, um, it was based on one of his books, and that it involved um, Billy Pilgrim becoming unstuck in time. Yeah. And (laughs) maybe it's because I... um, I've I've watched like quite a few like you know time twisty turny movies. Yeah, I was genuinely expecting to be more confused by this story than I actually was. Like it's but but don't you think that was pretty good? Like how it 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 wasn't that confusing. Like I thought the same thing. That's what I meant. I think I thought it was going to be difficult to um to make, but but I it 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 wasn't. It was easy to follow. I thought anyway. Maybe it was because I read the book. Uh, yes, and like um, I, I honestly have a real fascination with like this extra dimensional kind of mm. storytelling, like you know, like seeing time and space fourth dimensionally. Which, um, and here's where my own geek cred's going to come in. Um, my sort of understanding of that comes from comic books, like the idea that you can like from your own seating position with like higher definition than what you're looking at you can basically flick through every single point in a given story at the same time yeah where like 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 time like time goes relatively straightforward like normally in third dimensional time but you can kind of just like from your um from your point of view you can flip back and forth between different points and the film itself definitely shows that to the point where I kind of have to call it one of the best edited films I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Like it is genuinely kind of like insane just how well the different scenes align with each other because the whole point of the story is that it's told like aggressively out of order. Yeah. But there's no sense of like randomness in it. It feels like every single cut, every single perspective shift, not only, you know, doesn't completely jar the audience, but it feels like it was done for a very specific reason, whether it's um, like certain words or certain scenes, like when um, mm. Billy Pilgrim keeps flashing back between two separate occasions where he was being photographed mm. and that sort of thing. It's it's remarkably smooth, and I, I have to admit, like again, without having read the book, this has got to be like one of the best like bits of thematic shorthand for like war trauma that there is. The idea yeah. of like you left the war, but the war never left you, and yeah. almost yeah. at random you find yourself reliving all of that. Yeah, especially since, from my understanding, a lot of this is inspired by Kurt Vonnegut's own. Um, history because um, he was actually at the bombing of Dresden. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And that's and that's how the book uh, starts. So it's about him actually. It's about him writing a book about write, wanting to write a book about what happened in Dresden, and and then introducing this character Pilgrim to kind of to, to, as as the story, I guess. So it wasn't exactly bi- autobiographical, but yeah, it's it, it was based on he he was there. So he's obviously you know exploring that, and he he talks about like um, talking to a publisher and the public and the publisher asking him, "Is it an anti-war book?" And he's like, "Well, yeah, I think so." Like, <laughs> I guess. It's <laughs> and um, the guy goes, "You may as well write an anti-glacier book." And 
he goes, I know what he's trying to say. Like, it's, it's just pointless try, writing an anti-war book. But I can't not kind of thing. Like, I, I still feel like I have to say what I need to say about it, which was really interesting. Um, and, yes, I totally agree. And that's what I was trying to say before about this kind of, it's treated with a, a sensitivity, but not a, not a, it, it, it's not an anti-war beat you over the head book. It, it, it's very cleverly done. And I wonder if the, if the movie, you know, what you're talking about, your impression of it, I wonder if that is because the movie makers and the script writer did such a good job or whether the source material that they were drawing from is so good. Do you know what I mean? Or a combination of that? Yeah, I definitely get that. And trust me, we will be getting into that distinction later on. <laughs> but as far as like, um, or like translating the, the, these sorts of ideas, like, um, yeah. you know, the anti-war side of things, but like from a lived in position where it's mm -hmm. like you, can tell that like from every like from the perspective that the film is putting forward there's a very good reason why like with that scene where i'm billy pilgrim's in hospital next to the author that's writing about dresden yeah. and, it's, and he's just like oh let, let him write his own book i'm like fucking hell dude uh -huh. <laughs> like uh -huh. that's like, like that's pretty like vivid but at the same time it's it's like you said it doesn't beat you over the head with it Hmm. And I, I, I especially like how they dealt with, um, oh God, I, I, I'm never going to be able to remember the, um, the aliens that basically bring um, Billy Pilgrim into this like human habitat hmm. with that really oh, sexy called? screen actress. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no. What are they? What's the what's the planet called? Um, Tralf Yeah, Tralf Tramalfador. Yeah, the Tramalfadorians or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, when and, you talk about it like I, that, it sounds like such a bizarre film. And it, but, but, like, yeah, admittedly, it is like um, like, and there's a, like a very dark, like absurdist vein of comedy going at, going through this yes. whole thing, especially with like how quickly he'll just like switch back and forth, how aggressively like douche nozzle Paul Lazaro is. Yes. Like literally every scene he's in shows like <laughs> I'm an absolute fuck. <laughs> um, which. Which, which definitely like adds to the tragedy of the ending, I'd yeah. say. Yeah. And sure. and and there's, and there's also, um, I, I think probably like the funniest scene for me is when um, Billy Pilgrim's first wife discovers that he's in that he's in hospital and begins to go through what I can only describe as a Blues Brothers yeah. scale like car like car chase scene yeah which like oh my god that um like her character i honestly kind of love because she's like it's a kind of like sickly sweet like i guess so much for you how much she kept on talking about like i'm gonna lose weight for you billy kind of thing which i i have to admit made it a bit of a rude shock when i discovered that the actress <laughs> um sharon gans um, I'll, I'll play it safe here and say allegedly is a cult leader, like <laughs> legit cult leader. Mm. So, so that, 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 that was a bit of a, whoa, 
moment for me, but um, <laughs> yeah, right. And, and it's just and, and 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 like again, the way that it plays around with these different ideas, like like one moment he's you know resting at um, resting in the habitat with the um, Montana, I think her name is the um, the you know the the, the 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 actress we know mostly from the neck downwards, let's say. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, like going from there to suddenly being, um, you know, in the snow with these soldiers and just, and, and going from there to, you know, um, like the scene with um, Billy and his father, the sink or swim thing, which is basically like the entirety of the movie, pretty much. Just that yeah. whole idea of like, yeah, you're, you're being thrown right into the deep end mm -hmm. repeatedly. You better learn to deal with it. Yeah, and, and and even the scene with um when he actually does end up on um Tralfamador, and it's it, he and he's basically treated the same way zoo animals are, where it's like, are you mating yet? Which <laughs> like that that is, that is honestly like one of the biggest signifies that like again without being entirely familiar with Kurt Vonnegut's writing mm -hmm. style, like through a certain pop culture osmosis where it's like i've seen the stuff that he's influenced the fact that it's able to get across this very like achingly humanistic like well you know anti-war message where it's yeah. just you know could we not do this because we're putting yeah. our own people in in danger and writing them off at the same time which considering um both the i believe the original book and this film's proximity to Vietnam would have really given it really gives it an extra punch um but like bouncing Definitely that out yeah. with with like and another example of like the scene where Billy and his family are at the um the drive-in theater and it's like <laughs> gets to the bathing scene and they're all and the mother's just like why are we watching this like the one like the one like not so sweet moment for her yeah and it's just yeah. like being able to properly balance like those two aspects yeah. is quite a feat and it really is a showing that like everyone here was on their a game like totally like like michael Sachs as billy pilgrim like for someone who is basically almost literally at the whim of the narrative because he keeps getting shifted around through these different like places and times. Yeah. Like he handles every single point so damn well. He creates like this uncompromisingly human focal point for everything happening around him. And yeah. even when we know what's going to happen to him later on, like how they foreshadow that Dresden would get bombed, that doesn't make like the scene where he finally like arrives for the first time in Dresden. There's still a certain kind of like hopefulness to it. There's a certain joy in it because of like what we've seen him go through beforehand. It's like this, ah, oh, this, this place isn't so bad. It's, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it's like, and that's like another point in the film's favor as far as like handling the non-linear narrative, the fact that it's able to make us feel like tense and even like, you know, joyful about stuff that we technically already know is going to happen because of the way that the timeline's synced up. And uh, again, yeah. I have to bring up, yeah, D.D. Allen's editing is like fucking out of this world. 
like th- like uh, th- th- this is probably one of the few times where I've been like, this film's really good, but for for the editing alone, it's that much better. Yeah. Like uh, even as someone who like obsessively like looks into every single detail well, as best I can when it comes to movies, th- this is one of the rare times when I've been like, you know what, the editing is. It, like it's noticeably like awesome kind of thing <laughs> yeah yeah I, I definitely it's amazing i haven't I, I feel like like i have heard about it as in like maybe the, the book or the movie i don't know like 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 somewhere in my life i'd heard of this you know story or book or whatever but not I don't know. Maybe it's one of those kind of has has never um, got as much attention as as some other maybe war films or just other films from that time. But it just I feel like it deserves more more um, notoriety if that makes sense. Uh, I, I would definitely agree. Like, admittedly, I can't make exact statements as far as like how much notoriety it has already but 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 like considering like you know the legacy of the material itself and Kurt Vonnegut being yeah. one of the you know the, the, one of the the pillars of modern sci-fi pretty much alongside guys like Isaac Asimov and um Heinlein yeah. and that yeah. sort of, and that, that sort of crowd yeah like, I'm willing to this film like is in the position it deserves to be in as far as like you know being one of the great examples of you know sci-fi and cinema yeah because because that's essentially like what the old god of science fiction really delved in the idea of using these really fantastical ideas of like you know time travel and aliens and all extra dimensional thinking to discuss extremely terrestrial ideas like war the effect it has on people mm. um and and just you know tragedy as a whole yeah. which is which made this like insanely like gripping to watch like again even with the we technically already know what's about to happen thing which i'd say is like the mark of a truly great filmmaker when they're able to take something we know is going to happen and yet still make us tense at the idea of it not happening. Totally. Totally. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I know. And that's, that's the other thing about um, books that have been made into films and I've already read the book. You, you know they've done well when you know what's going to happen but you still feel that dread inside you. <laughs> it, that, that, that's the mark of a really, um, a, a really well-made film, I think, definitely. Should we, uh, have you got anything uh, to add? Do you um, move on? <laughs> I, 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 I think we've, um, I think I've said all I can say about Sword yeah. of S5 as far as, like, go yeah. see it. You have it yeah, already definitely. because it is, oh, like, a, a, a genuine fucking classic. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I, I thought it was a really, really great film. And, um, and if you have time, I'd, I'd also recommend, uh, uh, reading the book if you yeah stuck in still stuck in isolation somewhere it's a great book too uh, all right we're well, moving on to slapstick of another kind and I'm just going to preface this by saying I did not read the book um, for this one 
Um, and then I'm, I'm just going to leave it there and let you explain. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this was basically the prompt for this entire episode. I suggested this. And the reason why actually yeah, has a bit of a exactly. story attached to it. So <laughs> I had, so like years and years and years ago, back when I was like, you know, probably like a really young kid, I had this vague memory of seeing a DVD at like a, you know, a, a, like discount bin. Right. Um, I, I, I could not remember the name of it. Yep. Of this movie that involved this pair of, um, I assumed like alien twins yep. who were stupid, relatively speaking, on their own. But when they literally put their heads together, they became the smartest person on earth. And I didn't, I, I didn't get the DVD. I didn't really think about it all that much until about a week or two before um, we decided to, before we like, you know, yeah. what are we going to do for the next episode? Uh-huh. I basically spent a good couple hours on Google straining to find this movie just really? off of like, Stupid twins put their heads together and rewrite okay. the U.S. Constitution because I remember that one little snippet from the back of the DVD okay. case, and I figured I put in that much work into finding this thing. <laughs> I might as well go the I might as well go the extra yard and actually you know watch it at some point. I figured, hey, we got this. Sh- we got the show. And I discovered that Siskel and Ebert declared it the worst movie of the year when it came out. I'm like, yes, material. This is perfect. It and was the worst movie of the I, year when it came out. Is that what it said? Um, uh, uh, yeah, they, they, they okay. devoted a whole like segment of like their end of the year wrap up to like right. how much this thing okay. sucks and. I, I I have to admit, I actually did, uh, again, I didn't read the book, but I did my best to try and, like, research, like, look up writings yep. from people who have read it. Yeah. And I I will admit, I do see shades of that story in here. Like with the, um, uh, near the ending, when they start talking about, um, when the twins start talking about their idea of, like, an expanded family of like everyone gets a middle name. The first part of it is like a plant or a fruit or vegetable. And the other and the other part is a number. If you have the same word, then your cousins. If you have the same number, your brother and sister. That one little bit is basically the entire point behind the original novel, far as I can tell. The idea of trying to get rid of like loneliness on like a social scale on like a cultural scale so that no one has to be alone. Right. And in that regard, it's also a tad, um, again, from what I can understand autobiographical because a lot of the, um, the relationship between the twins um, is based off of Kurt Vonnegut's relationship with his own sister. Right. And and on the basis of that, I can definitely, like, see some of, like, that original intent. And I have to admit some of my own um, history growing up as, well, basically someone everyone just wrote off as a retard for so many years. I can definitely sympathize with aspects of it. But holy shit, did getting to that much involve me having to claw my way through the colossal mound of rock stupid ideas that is 
whatever whatever in the hell this thing turned into. Seriously, what <laughs> the fuck? What like, the like, actual fuck? My mind was completely blown and I was like, this is not like bad good. This is just like, you know, there's something so bad it, it can be good and you can kind of find some, this is not that. Not, 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 not. No, this is not that. This is not, not that. that. And, and, uh, uh, let's uh, let's get to what um, what most people would consider the obvious thing when it comes to this. Um, so I'm assuming we both saw this at the in the same place on YouTube. Yeah. With the um, 240p resolution. Yes. Where it just looks like everything's filmed on spaghetti. Yeah. Um, it's a true testament to how shit a movie is when even watching it. Through that resolution, I can still tell how cheap this thing is. <laughs> like, do I even need to get into the fortune cookie-shaped UFO? And, and 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 oh, and on that point, actually, yes. Remember how in um, Tomorrow When the War Began, how in the original book the enemy, you know, the invading the army enemy, right. wasn't really. Yep. Yeah, but in the film it was. Yeah. Same case here. Yeah. Right down to yeah. the point where they cast Pat Morita as the leader of, um, as I'm assuming, like, like the leader or an ambassador from China, despite the fact that he's actually Japanese and he was basically America's single Asian friend for a good couple decades. Like, it's... So, like, to the point where it's so bizarre, like, how much, how many digs at the Chinese are in this thing for seemingly no reason? Uh, uh, well, uh, okay, scratch that. I think there is a reason because, with how, um, again, how the story is supposed to be about, you know, ending. Um, you, know, you know, trying to cure loneliness, basically, by instituting this idea of larger families. I'm assuming um, Stephen Paul, who wrote, produced, and directed this thing, thought that that sounded a little too much like communism and decided to overcorrect by making sure, oh, no, 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 we, this isn't communism. We hate the communists kind of thing, which... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. It, it's just, I don't like, it's fine. Like, it's low budget. That's fine. And it's like, you know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even, I'm actually stuck for words. Like, I don't know how to, to explain to people who are listening. <laughs> Perhaps may, may not have seen it. Like, it's just, it, it, it's, it's, it's inexplicable. It's just it, 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 it yeah, and, and <laughs> sorry. Go on. Do you remember the um the American general from Slaughterhouse Five, the one who was like decked out in all the you know the blue yeah. was for the American sky yeah. and all that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have to. Admit, I did flash back to him a few times while watching this because, well, a the whole idea of you know the Americans siding with the Nazis is timely let's say and also i kind of love the idea of him just going like we need to you know we need to defend ourselves against the russians and me knowing a modicum of history is like yeah except the russians kicked your ass didn't they um 
and mm. I just like and like even he isn't as racist as this movie. It is genuinely like bizarre, and that's not even getting into like how miscast the twins are. Like, admittedly, I do get, like, Jerry Lewis in here doing his extremely abrasive style of slapstick, which, like, don't get me wrong, I love Nutty Professor, I love the bellboy, I love King of Comedy, but he needs, like, the proper story to really, like, tap into what he's capable of. And this ain't that. But but, but I think that goes for almost everybody. I mean, he, he, he... I feel I felt bad for him. Like it was almost like um it was almost like he was I don't know. Again, I'm just I'm just lost for words. It, it's it's bizarre uh-huh. because because like I love like I love Marty Feldman. And and I saw the cast and I thought, like, I saw the picture and I was like, this looks weird and shit. Then I saw the cast and I was like, oh, maybe they'll, you know. <laughs> Actually, um, quickly. But it's like you can't the pull it to of, uh, uh, you know, you can't, you can't expect even yeah. the world's best um, actors uh, uh, to, to pull something like this off, I guess. Yeah, and uh, um, uh, just on the note of the picture, I really do have to bring <laughs> this up. Um, you've seen the, um, the poster for this, right? I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 is it just me or does Jerry Lewis look exactly like Christopher Lloyd? Very much so. Very it, much it, so. It's really weird. And, and like, as much as I could, like, speculate as far as, like, why he's in this, I might have an explanation for why Madeline Kahn and Marty Feldman are in this. Or at least it's a theory as to why. Okay. So, all right, so, um... So the family doctor is called Dr. Frankenstein, which oh, might yeah. be one of the God, laziest jokes in the world. <laughs> um, and both Madeline Kahn and Marty Feldman, like a few years before this, were in Young Frankenstein. Right. So maybe there was a bit of a, a bit of word association going on there. Maybe. maybe. Like maybe. That's, that's honestly like the thing with this movie. Like, I really went into overdrive to try and figure out what in the actual shit is going on in this thing. Like, that's the point where, like, how to put it, like, right from the point where they talk about how, like, China is separating, you know, severing all connections to other nations, whether it's cultural, economic, or whatever, and they've mastered the art of miniaturization. It honestly, like, reminded me of, um, or was it that movie Downsizing with um, Matt Damon? And how, like, I was not a fan of that movie, really. I think that's, that, that was, like, one of the biggest disappointments of that year. But looking at this, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Maybe that wasn't such a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, man. You could put anything next to this and... Yes, yeah, so it's like, because, like, at least there, the miniaturization had a point to it. Yeah, and and and, and like uh, okay, I need to. Uh, I actually need to get into this bit because um, it's to do with um the twins pretending to be stupid whenever they're around other people. Which oh my fucking god, could you overact any more? Uh, right, like like could you oh. possibly gurn any more? 
It actually but made me angry. That's all, that's all the bit that got to me. What got to me was their explanation once they revealed, hey, we can actually, we can actually pass for neurotypical. Yeah, I'm actually going to go there with this one. Um, <laughs> th- them saying that, that, that they, you know, behave that way because they wanted, to, they wanted to be more like everyone else because, you know, they drink so much champagne, they were brain damaged. Except I read enough of, of a synopsis online for the book to know that in there, the reason why they did that is because they didn't want anything to interfere with their normal childhood, which when you're a kid that, is you know perceived to have like you know mental capacity beyond the average kid and i am speaking from experience here right you don't really get that chance for normalcy instead you get pushed around into situations where you have to show you know you have to make use of your god-given talents regardless of how much stress that puts on a person and again it's because of stuff like that and that bit of the ending where they basically do like a big plot dump of, oh yeah, that, this is what the movie's actually about. It's because of stuff like that mm. that I can't be too harsh towards this because I at least see like the original like point of the book itself. And on that basis, yeah. I can at least get why someone would watch this and go, maybe the book's better. And I'm willing, and just by pure like process of elimination, the book has to be better than this because I'm willing to bet that the book didn't involve, you know, Pat Morita as the equivalent of all Asians look the same. Yeah. Merv Griffin as, <laughs> as that, that anchor man who says both ass and shit on the air yeah. and quite possibly the most infuriating role, Orson freaking Wells as the alien as the narrator, one of yeah, it's, it's, the greatest it's weird, filmmakers yeah. of all time, yeah. somehow found a lower point than the Transformers movie to sink to, which is <laughs> ultra depressing. However, however, here's yeah. where like um, the bulk of my you know willingness to at least be charitable towards this thing is that I know for a fact that um, Stephen Paul, the writer, producer, director, would only go on to do worse after this. What? And I am not kidding. All right, okay. Two things no I want to bring up here. Have you, ever heard called, have you ever heard of a movie called Never Too Young to Die? Yeah, vaguely. Okay, all right. So it's a film where John Stamos as Lance oh, no. Stargrove oh, no. teams up with a teams up with a secret agent to avenge the death of his own secret agent father, and the villain is evil transvestite Velvet Von Ragnar, played by Gene Simmons. Fuck off. The only time <laughs> someone could confuse. Gene Simmons and Richard Simmons. But that's not even what I'm talking about, though. What? Because Stephen Paul, after this, would go on to be um, a producer, a writer, and even um, doing visual effects and second unit work for the Baby Geniuses series. All five of the bloody things, when the first one didn't even need to exist. It, like, for real... 
Be thankful that I am not malicious enough to suggest any of those for this podcast because if you think you're angry now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So with all that in the back of my head, I at least went into this with the perspective of I've definitely seen these people do worse, but at the same time, for yeah. how much non not making sense this is for how much for how inexplicable so much of it is how the kids of age 15 like the kids of 15 years old and yet they still look like overgrown toddlers and the whole thing with electroshock therapy which in a better movie could have been really poignant yeah it's yeah it probably was in the book if if that's part of the book i don't know yeah yeah and uh, like and in another showing of me straining to figure out how the hell this ended up this way, um, yeah. Kurt Vonnegut himself considers Slapstick, the book this is based off of, to essentially be his worst work. Which, yeah, artists are usually their own worst critics, but something in the back of my head keeps telling me that Stephen Paul took that at face value and went, Oh well, if this is his worst work, we can only there's nowhere to go but up. So let's just do whatever the fuck we want to with this thing. Yeah. And yeah, they certainly did do whatever the fuck they wanted, but yeah. someone really should have told them not to. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. And I just wonder that, like you know, Marty and Jerry and Madeline, if if at any point they all got together and were like, "What the fuck are we doing here?" Like, I don't. I don't know if I, I don't know if I would have, I mean, I know actors need to get paid and so they just have to do stuff, but I, 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 seriously, I think I would have been like, I, I'm really not sure I can go through with this. <laughs> yeah, like, like, how to put it, if we were cast as the twins, excusing the age difference, yeah. I, we would look at the script, look yeah. at oh, because we were born so ugly and, oh, my God, how much did they beat us over the head with that? Oh like, God. in the first, like, ten minutes, that's all anyone could talk about. Like, um, uh, like, we look at the script and we get to the point where, like, oh, they're so ugly, it must have been a result of inbreeding and that's why they get separated. I'm pretty sure we both would have looked at this and gone, uh, fuck this shit, I'm out. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously, I would have been like, there's not enough money in the world could make me, um, you know, put myself through that. Put my, anyway, uh, it's, it's, it's just abysmal and absolutely abysmal. Yeah, it, it's just, and, and honestly, like the fact that I am even able to look at this and go, at least from what I've read, like, go, yeah, yeah, that's definitely a bit of it. And, and like, it's really strange the bits that they actually latched onto. Like, um, did you notice, um, when they were first setting up like the big house for um you know the twins to live there hmm. there was an inexplicable um cameo from two guys dressed as laurel and hardy carrying in i think like a ladder or a, or a painting yeah. or something yeah like, like the bowler hats and that that's a reference to the fact that in the um introduction to the original book kurt vonnegut wrote um wrote that this was a tribute to Laurel and Hardy. Oh so again, it's like it found like the weirdest, most specific things to latch on to, yeah. and then just jettisoned the rest of it <laughs> just so it could focus on just so it could focus on 
you know, slamming the Chinese, um, you know, Communist Party. Yeah. Be extraordinarily ableist for as much as it tries right? to give a pretense that it's against that sort of thing. Agreed. And, and oh, um, another bit of um, trying to rationalize how this thing turned out, although this one is potentially backed up by something. Okay. <laughs> um, the fact that this is called Slapstick of Another Kind and that it does involve aliens, which the original novel um, evidently didn't. Right. I'm willing to bet there's more a little, more than a little bit of, hmm, Close Encounters of the Third Kind did really well. Let's yeah. try and bank on that because yeah. apparently, you know, desecrating one sci-fi work isn't enough <laughs> for these people. It's, oh my God, yeah, and it's, it's, nightmarish that that, that that that's the word i keep coming back to because the whole time i was watching it i just feeling like i don't i don't feel any real rage but i actually feel ill <laughs> like i felt quite sick in my stomach watching this thing just going like ah uh, uh, this oh god please don't tell me this transmits corona because <laughs> like i was not feeling well watching this oh, it's yeah. So turns out I, I, I should have just written off those two hours I spent trying to find this bloody movie and it's gone, okay, I found it. Curiosity sated. I don't need to go any further into this. <laughs> but no, I actually went ahead with it. And I have to admit, I think the fact that I did bring someone else along for the ride is yeah. making it sit a little easier. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, um, I'm gonna have to get you back, but we'll, I'll, I'll bide my time. <laughs> right. And uh, like, how to put it? I had the feeling that you'd want to get me back for this, and possibly for what we're reviewing next. But we'll, we'll see I how that. I haven't watched those yet, so oh yeah, maybe I'm gonna have to be, need to be a All double, right. double get you back. I'll see. Cool. Yeah, well. Um, um, okay. <laughs> I do love the story of how this came about, though. I think that's pretty funny. Um, and not, yeah, not that you um, picked it because you thought it would be a good movie to watch. Uh, admittedly, I didn't. And uh, <laughs> this, this will probably make you feel worse, but, like, I, oh, great. I, I will admit, it, 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 it's just, like, I went into this knowing it would be bad. Yep. And, but I have to admit, like, it, it, I wouldn't call this one of the worst things I've seen, quite frankly, if only because there's just enough of the original Kurt Vonnegut DNA in there that I could, at the very least, like, get something out of it if I willfully ignored all the fucking ridiculously <laughs> stupid shit surrounding it. It's just, like, I I'm, I'm nothing... <laughs> I'm nothing if not generous. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, uh, and I think the fact that you suggested Slaughterhouse Five, um, honestly, like helped with things a lot because, like, between the two of these, we got a very good idea of like what a film looks like when they definitely like understand and care about yeah. Kurt Vonnegut's own, you know, view of humanity, yeah. and what happens when a film just does not give a shit. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because when you when you suggested slapstick, I all I did was just Google it 
And the only thing I read was one of the worst book to movie adaptations ever. <laughs> and I thought that could mean anything. It could just mean that they, they you know, didn't follow the, the story at all. Like that can, that can be um, interpreted yeah. in different ways. And then, and then I just looked for other Kurt Vonnegut books that have been made into films and, and Slaughterhouse-Five was, it comes up as one of the better um, book-to-film adaptations, like, ever, you know. Yeah, so, and, um, and, and, and I, I have to admit, it's a really good thing that you didn't choose um, Breakfast of Champions because yeah. in all the research I did, there's, like, serious contention over which one is worse Slapstick or Breakfast of Champions, yeah, and I think I, we've been through I enough pain with this no. one. <laughs> no. I was like, I, I had a feeling, I just saw the poster and I read the thing and I was like, I'm feeling this is going to be pretty terrible, so if we're going to do another film, I wanted to make sure that I was, you know, going to spend an hour and a half watching something, um, you know, with a bit of entertainment value attached to it. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, it's good to talk to you. It's been a while. Um, good to talk with you too. <laughs> I'll try and watch um, the other you, um, Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and, and definitely let me know, like, when you're done with them because okay. I'm quite um, interested to see how that one turns out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'll text you soon. All right, cool. Enjoy the rest of your week. You too. High five. <laughs> Bye. Bye.